0: My name is Elisa Simons, and our scripture reading for today is Matthew 4, 1 through 11. You can follow along with me on the screen behind me or in your Bibles or in your worship folders. And again, it's Matthew 4, 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Jesus said to him again it is written you shall not put the Lord your God to the test and again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory and he said to him all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me and then Jesus said to him be gone Satan for it is written you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve and then the devil left him and behold Angels came and were ministering to him.
1: Uh, amen. Uh, thanks, Elisa. Uh, we're trying something new, or I, well, I should say we're adding something. It's not that <clears throat> I'm too good to read the scripture passage or that's beneath me or something like that. Uh, we're really trying to get more uh, folks involved in our worship service, for lack of a better term. Uh, Elisa is, is a lay person Uh, And all we mean by that is she's not an ordained minister, Um, but we'd like to get more and more people involved, and so uh, it's fun to be able to do that. So just in case you're wondering, why didn't he read that? Uh, That's part of the reason why we're doing that. Uh, If you are here and uh, it's your first time with us, we're in the middle of a series on Matthew. If you have been with us, uh, we are up to chapter four. Uh, Last week... Uh, Drew talked about the baptism of Jesus and what it means, uh, not or what it meant, I should say, not only for Jesus, but what it means for us uh, that a verdict has been given over our lives, what it meant for Jesus to hear, uh, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased, and what it means for us, uh, and how that should uh, change the way that we live, how that should empower us, how it should give us boldness, how it should humble us. Uh, how we should become, in light of that, good repenters and what that means as far as some of the spiritual practices uh, that he's given to us. Uh, And one of the things that we have to do is we really have to link up uh, what we read in Matthew 3 at the very end, uh, and it's not in your worship folder, uh, but Lord willing, you are starting, despite our enabling tendencies, to bring your Bible uh, to worship. Uh, We do really want you to do that. Uh, Even though we put it here and here and, uh, you know, now it's on phones and Kindles and everything else, uh, we we do want you to to bring the Bible so that if we do reference something else, you can look it up or you can follow along. But to to follow or to go back into chapter 3 and see where Jesus is baptized and then this voice from heaven comes and says, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased, verse... One of chapter four. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. You really have to see those two things go together, uh, and it's unexpected that he would be led by the wil- or excuse me by the Spirit into the wilderness. Uh, you'd think after the the high of the baptism, after hearing the voice of his Father uh, and being empowered by the Spirit, that the same Spirit would lead him. Uh, I don't know, off into. <clears throat> ministering to people, uh, casting out demons, healing people, preaching, teaching, all that kind of stuff. But he doesn't do that. He first leads him into the wilderness. Uh, And, you know, our typical understanding of what the blessed, spirit-filled life looks like certainly ain't getting sent into the wilderness for 40 days. And fasting. I mean, that doesn't sound fun at all. The blessed, spirit-filled life is supposed to be, you know, Lots of stuff. God's blessing. Uh, But in some mysterious providence of the Father's plan, Jesus is sent into the wilderness by the Spirit. Other gospel writers say he was driven into the wilderness. Uh, One New Testament scholar says Jesus' baptism was important to Satan because Satan then throws all his efforts into getting Jesus to, to cash in on his identity as the Son of God in ways that would divert him from his real mission. And that's really going to be the issue, is how does Satan try and get Jesus to divert himself from his real mission? How does How is he trying to tempt him out of what Jesus' real mission is to go on an alternate mission? Uh, and I want to try and explore that. But I also want to say this, again, at the outset, if you're here, you're not a Christian, or you're new to the faith, or you're unsure of the faith, let me be clear. We as Christians believe that evil is real and Satan is not uh, the West, okay? But he's a fallen angel whose galactic arrogance and God complex got him expelled from heaven. Uh, and I know this is countercultural to say the least because what's happened is to account for the existence of evil, our culture has sought many answers, but they can't come up with one, try as they might. It's It's fascinating. Prior to 9-11, a a well-known philosopher at the University of Chicago asked his students in a class one day, can you name an evil person? And none of them could. Uh, Our culture tries to pretend that evil doesn't exist or really isn't all that pervasive. And we act shocked when two teenagers walk into their high school and shoot everyone they can see. Or when young men fly airplanes into the side of buildings or when an army officer opens fire into a room full of his comrades. We we, we act shocked at that. We're, we're blindsided oftentimes by evil. But hear this, the enemy <clears throat> that you ignore is often the one who sneaks up behind you and surprises you. So we, we pretend like evil isn't really that real. In fact, American culture has taken what one author calls a, a Pollyanna view of evil, right? You remember this movie, Pollyanna? Haley Mills, God bless her soul. Uh, you know, kind of, and of course it's Disney, right? God bless Walt Disney. Uh, if you just think happy thoughts, everything's going to be okay. And I'm sure there's some cheesy song she sang, but I can't remember it, okay? But in fact, in that movie, what's also interesting is there's a pastor in that movie and the movie kind of mocks the pastor because he's characterized as harsh and overbearing and, you know, he talks about God's judgment. So, again, if you're here, you're unsure of all of this or maybe you're opposed to it, let me summarize the Christian view of evil. The Bible teaches evil exists. It's personal. It's an unnatural intrusion into the world and it must be fought. Okay? Okay? So that's kind of where we are, and Jesus takes it seriously. You see that here in the temptation narrative, and so we should too. The Bible teaches us that Satan is not only the father of lies, but he's a roaring lion prowling around to devour someone. So keep those two things in, in, in tension. He's the father of lies, but he's a roaring lion. He's the father of lies, a roaring lion. Very deceitful, very uh, opportunistic. So looking at how Jesus deals with Satan is going to show us how we can combat his schemes as well. And uh, we've mentioned this before, but make no mistake about it, we are at war. And I'm not talking about Afghanistan. I'm talking about a a cosmic war uh, that's been going on for for some time. Now, when does Satan go after Jesus? Look at verse 2. He's led up into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So not out into the wilderness to to have some quiet time. Not to go out like, you know, one of the early desert fathers and, you know, hang himself in a tree and and, and and see what sort of wacky, spiritual, mystical thing he can accomplish. He's led out to be tempted. That's the purpose. And how hungry must he have been? Well, how hungry are you right now? I can tell you how hungry I am. I can tell you how hungry I'll be, you know, at 3 o'clock after I've eaten at maybe 12. How hungry would I be after 40 days? So, does temptation tend to come to you when you're hungry and tired? A helpful tool is to think of the acronym HALT, H A L T, right? You ready? Oftentimes, we are most tempted when we are horny. Angry, lonely, and tired. Okay? Those are four things to remember because those are four things that create drives in us. And I'm going to talk about those in just a minute. So as I mentioned earlier, the issue for Jesus, the issue for us as we read this account and kind of work through it, is what kind of Messiah will He be? What kind of Messiah is Jesus going to be? There's no question in Satan's mind who he is, but it's an issue of how's he going to carry out his mission? Will he go after power and prestige, or will he follow the road of suffering and pain? Because at their core, the devil is, with his temptations, he's attempting to get Jesus to bypass the suffering that he is facing. He's presenting a fork in the road, and he's going to try to get him to take it. So, first, I've mentioned this on the back of this little uh, handout. One side is the scripture, on the other side is the, the outline. But first, uh, and we're just going to go through the temptations, display or defend, test or trust, uh, splendor or submission. That's kind of the, uh, uh, the pattern there. Uh, and so let's look at these. See what Satan offers, see how Jesus combats uh, what Satan offers. So first, display uh, versus depend. Satan, <clears throat> in the first temptation... He's trying to get Jesus to meet his needs by displaying his power, by displaying his ability. And on the surface, it seems pretty basic, right? I mean, Jesus is hungry. Jesus, I know you're hungry. I know you have supernatural power. Take the stones right here. Make them bread. Okay? So why doesn't he do that? Because I don't know about you, but it'd be pretty cool to have the power to turn rocks into bread. I'm really hungry right now. If I could walk out here and just zap some mulch and there it turns into bread. Or better yet, a a Moe's burrito. Right? That would be really neat to be able to do that. It would be like uh, somebody in the citrus industry just walking around, snapping their fingers, zapping oak trees and making them orange trees. And we could just have more orange juice. Make more money. You'd never lack for oranges. I'd never lack for Moe's burritos. You know? I mean, find your favorite food. But, but think, about, think about the ways in which you want to uh, make bread or use your power to make bread. It doesn't have to be literal bread. How would Jesus turning stones into bread protect him? What, what would he escape from if he did this miracle? Uh, the fact is Jesus is more interested in using his power to feed others. Rather than himself. And Satan knows that. That's why he's going after him here. When you are hungry or in need, here's the question for us. In what area or in what way are you most prone to use your power or your ability to make bread to go after uh, what you want rather than depending on the provision of God? Where do you find yourself? This is the issue really. Where do you find yourself pushing toward independence rather than dependence? Dependence. How does a hunger for sex drive you to make bread? What do you do? You look at pornography. How does a hunger for anger create a drive to make bread? Well, if I'm really angry, I'm going to seek to control other people or make ridiculous demands on others to make me look better. This is a scary one. How does a hunger for loneliness... Or how does the, the 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 what loneliness creates, how does it drive us to make bread? Well, I gossip. I gotta, I gotta talk about somebody or something, and it doesn't even have to be one of you. I could just talk about Tiger Woods or some other famous person and just gossip about them. There's thousands of magazines that we buy that are all about gossip. But here's what Jesus does: He refuses to use his power to serve himself he lives in total dependence on his father this is the same man who says in john chapter 5 i can do nothing on my own but only what i see my father doing and because jesus lives in complete dependence on his father he's real you notice that about jesus jesus doesn't float above life like some sort of you know super superhuman i don't know cartoon character He's not unaffected by what goes on around him. He's real. And Jesus chooses to live according to the power he gets from his Father, not by displaying it for the world to see. And what he does is he quotes the book of Deuteronomy, where he reminds Satan and himself that the true source of life is God and his words, not the physical bread that fills your stomach. Yes, you need it, but where is true life? Where is real Life, where's the real source come from? Jesus is very clear because He says we have physical needs. I mean, for crying out loud, there's 5,000 people later in His life. And He sees them and He says these people have got to be hungry. So He provides food for them. But then when, 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 they, when they start to follow and they want more and more bread, what does He do? He goes after them and He says, I'm the bread of life. He, he never just stops with that. And so here he's saying, Satan, the foundation for real life comes from the words God speaks, not my ability to, to display my power, to provide for myself, to do for myself. What, 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 what the Gospel creates is a dependence on the Father. And if the Son of God Himself says, I can do nothing on my own, why are, why are you and I so hell-bent on living our life and creating in our children the ability to not say that statement. We hate that statement. I can do nothing on my own. Dad gum it. I'm going to do it. And that's Nike's bazillion dollar phrase for crying out loud. I mean, look at what that's produced. A, a, a culture full of independent, arrogant people. It's gross. And Jesus here tells us it is about dependence, not independence. Now the second temptation. Go on, testing versus trusting. The first one, display, Satan says, display. Jesus says, I'm going to depend. And the second one, Jesus says, test, and Jesus, or Satan says, test, and Jesus says, no, I'm going to trust. What's interesting about this is that Satan has just challenged Jesus in the area of dependence and self-reliance, and so now Satan's very crafty. He's very smart. He says, okay, Jesus, if you say you depend on God, then have at it. See the temple? Jump. (laughs) Throw yourself off. Let's see how your reliance on on your father works then. But why the temple? Well, think about where the temple was. This would be like you or I jumping off the Empire State Building. Right? Jumping off the White House. Which apparently it's not hard to get into these days. Right? I mean, you know, anybody. Flash my... (laughs) Hey, I'm here to see the president. Okay. Have at it. Come on in. I'm sorry, I just had to throw that in there. But it would would be like jumping off this really public place, right? That's what the temple was. Everybody would see him. And so Satan is saying, listen, go with the most public, most spectacular, most most in-your-face place that you can jump off of and draw lots of attention to yourself and see is God going to do what He promises to do? Well, where does He promise to do that? Well, here's where it gets really gross, but also scary. Satan starts quoting the Scriptures. That's how deceptive evil is. The father of lies quotes the Bible, and he takes a passage from Psalm 91. He pulls it right out of context, and then he twists it to suit his purposes. It's a psalm about the one whose trust and confidence are in God's character. But what Satan does is he uses this passage from the Bible to advance his agenda rather than highlighting the true meaning of the psalm. He just rips it right out of context. Now, I want you to beware, and I have this word beware written right here in my notes. Beware. Because the so-called promises of God are so often used to make demands of God. There are, there are millions of dollars of books sold a year that promote this garbage. And it's you know, oh, No, I'm being serious. It makes me, it makes me really angry, and I, I had to I, you know, I had to really pray this morning uh, against cynicism, because I'm so prone to it. Uh, and, and anytime I see, I, I see something that's, that's being abused, you know, I just want to be cynical about it rather than just weep about it. Rather than just, just be sad about it. And so pray for me in that. Underneath this temptation is, is, is something very, very significant. Paul Miller uh, says this about this temptation. Satan tries to take Jesus' strength, his trust in his Father, and use it against him. Satan is often strongest in our lives when he's attacking us in the area of our strengths. When we think we're strong, we become self-reliant and proud, a perfect opening for Satan to attack us. In areas where we're weak, we often pray more and are more consciously dependent on God. Satan wants Jesus to act on his own in an area of strength. I mean, you, you, you you see how scary that is, how deceptive that is, how cunning that is. So as you think about your strengths, think about where your life is most likely to fall prey to satanic attack. And and this is where it is. Where in your life are you the most prayerless? Where in your life do you pray the least? Because that's exactly where you think you don't need God, where you think you can do life on your own. And that's where Satan's going to attack. He did it to Jesus. And he will do it to us. And Satan here has to, excuse me, Jesus has to remind Satan, God is not the genie in the bottle. Right? He's not the genie in the bottle that we conjure up to make orders on our lives. Or, as I think it was R.C. Sproul said one time back in my uh, Ligonier conference groupie days, when I went to see him all the time, God taught me a lot from him, but one phrase I remember him saying, he said, God is not a cosmic bellhop who exists to meet my needs and desires. And that's why I was saying before, beware of things that take the promises of God and use them to make you get your needs met and make demands on Him as if He's some sort of cosmic bellhop. Jesus reads into the devil's misapplication and His twisting of the Scriptures. Remember the first son of God, Israel? My firstborn son, He said in in Exodus... They faced a similar temptation in the desert when they didn't have any water. But they were disobedient. They tested God and they angered God. Why? Because, listen, this is the issue. Testing God means putting Him in a situation where we then make demands on Him, usually to care for us. God, I'm Your son. I'm Your daughter. You're supposed to care for me. And this blew me away when I read it. Tempting God always means we first make a decision independently of Him and then we expect Him to bail us out. That's just disgusting. Uh, Listen to Psalm 78. This really gets at the heart. This is the psalmist reflecting on Israel's time in the desert. It really gets at the heart of what we're talking about. Psalm 78 says... Uh, in spite of God splitting rocks and giving them things to drink and making streams come out of the rock and causing waters. Verse 17, Yet they sinned still more against Him, rebelling against the Most High in the desert. They tested God in their heart. How? By demanding the food they craved. They spoke against God, saying, Can God spread a table in the wilderness? He struck the rock so that water gushed out and streams overflowed. Can he also give bread and provide meat for his people? Therefore, when the Lord heard, he was full of wrath. A fire was kindled against Jacob. His anger rose against Israel. Here it is. Why? Because they did not believe in God and did not trust his saving power. That's it. The issue is unbelief. The issue is a lack of trust. And so Jesus' message to Satan and us is this, he says, I believe that the Father is more trustworthy and loving than that. I don't need to test Him because He's proven to me His character over and over and over again. And so Satan, no. Because the Scriptures say, and he quotes again, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So Satan says, test God. And Jesus says, no, I'm going to trust Him. I'm going to make my decisions dependent on Him rather than seek to act independently of Him and then call Him to, you know, as I'm falling off the temple. Quote Psalm 91. He will command His angels to take charge of you. He will command His angels to take charge of you. Well, that worked well for you, didn't it? I mean, that's what Satan wanted. That's what he was after. And yet Jesus Jesus doesn't give in and you know what's interesting? This is a, a hilarious question. I have to ask it. And it is cynical, but you have to consider the source. Uh, one of the, the guys at our mother church over in uh, uh, Lakeland asked this question earlier this week of, uh, I guess, of Tim Rice, the pastor at Trinity over there. He said, you know, uh, since when did Satan have to go with a second or even a third temptation when he was going after you? I mean, he gets me on the first try every time. But man, he doesn't get Jesus on the first try. He goes after him again. Jesus says, no. He doesn't get him on the second try. He goes after him again. And what happens? He goes away and says, I'll come back later. So the third one, I just, again, had to throw that in there. I have it it in my notes. Didn't know where to put it. Uh, But it's a great question, again, to consider. You and I are so... Easily susceptible to him. And to see the beauty of Jesus, to see, to see what we just sang, this one who is fairer and more beautiful than any human, who's, any being who's ever lived, uh, this is yet another example of that. So, in the third temptation, Satan says, Let me show you the splendor of all the kingdoms of the world. But notice, he doesn't say, I'm going to show you their splendor, but also their wickedness and their brokenness and their sin. He just says, I'm going to show you the splendor and the glory of all the kingdoms of the world. And maybe he's thinking of Psalm chapter 2, where God tells his son, ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance. And so he he snuggles up right next to Jesus, gets, gets real close to him, and he says, he whispers in his ear, ask of who, Jesus? If the world is your mission, why take the slow road, the hard road? The servant's road. There's a much quicker route to the Messianic kingdom. And surely, surely the crowds back there will help you take it. They they might even make you take it. So why disappoint them and destroy yourself? Do as I say and the world will be at your feet. And so the essence, the essence of his message is this. Serve me, rule the world. Go for what works. Because the ends justify the means, after all. To help people, you've got to get position and power. But what he doesn't say is the splendor of this world, the the glory of this world, the attractiveness of this world is its ability to promise but never deliver. It'll never deliver. It will always promise. It will always say, if you just go for this, if you just can get this, and you will always be reaching For it, reaching for it, reaching for it. And it never materializes. It never actually gets to what it says it's going to give you. The heart of this temptation is our hunger for worship. We were made to worship. And if you are not worshiping God in the person and work of Jesus Christ, you're worshiping something or someone. I love it when people say, I'm not religious. Oh, yes, you are. Let's just figure out what your religion is. Sometimes that takes longer than five minutes. But a lot of times it doesn't. I would much rather seek worship than give it. I would far prefer that my kingdom be promoted and spoke well of than promoting God's kingdom above all else. I'd much rather people say, you know, Jonathan's got a great wife. His kids are flawless. Pfft. You haven't met him, have you? You <laughs> go introduce them to you. Bring him right in here. Big fat sinners. My heart is so sick. And I'm talking about me. I'm talking about me personally. My heart is so sick. I want to be worshipped, thought well of, made a big deal of. And that's how corrupt I am and how easy it is for, for me to operate as if God's kingdom hasn't come because I must be king. I want to be in the front of the Titanic with Leonardo DiCaprio, yelling, "I'm the king of the world," with gorgeous Kate Winslet on my arm, and not a care in the world until it strikes the glacier and everybody dies. Again, seriously, that is what he's out to 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 tempt us with, to to offer us, and it. it it's never going to materialize. And I thought of this when my realm is threatened, as Mr. T said, I pity the fool who gets in my way. <laughs> I do. I'm serious. You know, I, I just, you, you better watch out. You better watch out. So in, in, in my relationship with Drew, I, I, you know, I, I, want, I want him to just love me, think I'm the greatest thing ever. So I don't ever want to offend him. I don't ever want to tell him he's sinning. And he might think badly of me. I don't want to tell him he's, you know, what criticize him or 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 do anything that might threaten that. Because I, I want him to I want him to love me. Just fall at my just oh, I'm so sad, sad that you're leaving. I just can't do life without you. I mean, I it sounds cheesy, but it's true. I really want that. And 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 if if we're honest, we do, we all do. And so Satan says, Take the splendor that this world offers Jesus and Jesus gives Satan a news flash. And I love this statement. Tim Rice, the pastor of our mother church in uh, Lakeland, said it this week and it just blew me away. And I know you've probably heard something like it before, but I just want to repeat it to you. God doesn't exist to make a big deal out of you. You exist to make a big deal out of him. And again, Jesus has to remind Satan his kingdom is not of this world. Remember he had to tell Pilate that later on at the end of his life in the last week when Pilate says, so you're a king. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If he says no to Satan's offer, then Jesus is clearly choosing the path of suffering and death. He's choosing the way of the cross. In verse 36 of Mark chapter 8, which we didn't read in the assurance of pardon, but a couple of verses later, Jesus says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? What does it, what does it profit a man? What's it, what's, what's it gain a man? This temptation continued throughout his life because we read it in the assurance of pardon. Jesus rebukes Peter in Mark chapter 8, calling him Satan. Because in Peter's mind, surely the Messiah is not going to suffer many things and be rejected and be killed and after three days rise again. That's not how it works with kings. That's not the way of kings. The way of kings is power and position and influence and splendor and glory and victory. And Jesus says, get away from me, Satan. Because I'm, I'm in the middle of this thing and I'm on the road now. I'm on my way there. He's got to teach them about what's going to happen to him. And I would say too, he had to teach himself. He had to remind himself Jesus just said, you are the Christ. Greatest compliment ever. And he had to say, but i got to suffer. And after three days, I'm going I'm, I'm to rise again. He had to tell himself that. In order to accomplish his mission, Jesus will be the suffering servant because the road of suffering is the road to glory. And Jesus will be unlike any other king in human history. He will rule and he will conquer, but he will do that by submitting to and by dying, and if, if 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 that if that doesn't make you sing, Ferris Lord Jesus, beautiful Savior, ruler of the nations," with 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 far more passion and far more uh, oomph than you did before, I, I don't know what will, because He is so very glorious. Now, as an application to close here, I I, I just want to hit this and. I mentioned it to Drew yesterday, uh, you know, was, where are you going, you know, what, what's, what's kind of going to be the theme, and I said, you know, I'm going to end with, with talking about Jesus and, you know, community Bible reading, scripture, memory, and he said, you know, I, I just, maybe, maybe, maybe we're supposed to just hit that all the time this, for the next however many, however long. You know, because as he said a couple of weeks ago, he said, you know, it's, it's, uh, it sounds cheesy, but if we could just get people to read the Bible and i know that first sunday of uh, of the new year if you were here read the bible he's not talking about like going out and saving the world and you know no cuz people don't read it so how does jesus do battle with satan very simple practical as we close here he uses the word of god he's empowered by the spirit he uses the word of god jesus has spent much of his life studying and hiding the word in his heart And Moses tells Israel in Deuteronomy 6, these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. If they are on your heart, they can be utilized in doing battle against the enemy. If they are not on your heart, then how are you going to do battle? You won't. You'll be powerless unless the Word of God is on your heart, unless it's hidden there. So can you begin to understand why we need to develop a culture of people who read the Bible and memorize it and then journal about it and write about it and think about it and pray about it and talk about it? I mean, seriously. You know what the strategy of radical Islam is? They put children in madrasa schools and they start telling them what? You will memorize the Quran, And you wonder... Why they are so devoted as to give their life in a plane and crash into the side of a building for a God that they're not even sure is going to accept them when they get to heaven? You know why? Because they start young, and they start memorizing God's word, they start or Allah's word, and they start putting it in their heart, again and again and again and again. And if you if you want to know, if if you're scared, oh my gosh, the Muslims are coming. Let let, let me just assure you, no, no, no. Jesus has come. He has won. And he's equipped us with his word. And he said, Go out and get them. Go out and get my sheep. Bring them back in. In Psalm 91, verse 13, which Satan conveniently doesn't include in his reference, Psalm 91, verse 13 says, The young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Satan knew. By submitting to the Father's will, Jesus was bruised for our sins. But through His bruising, listen, through His bruising, He crushed the head of the serpent, leaving no doubt who the victor is. And that's what gives us confidence as we go. To fight, to fight, to fight. So as as Drew comes up here and as the the, the group comes up here and they sing us uh, or they lead us in this song called O Church Arise, uh, sing your heart out. O Church, arise, and let's pray that He would make us that kind of a people. Uh, Father, we stand in awe of the <laughs> the beauty of our Savior and uh, what He did uh, from start to finish. The beauty of His life, uh, the the shame and the glory of His death and His resurrection. And I pray that as uh, we do battle, that You would equip us, that we would become a people who hide your word in our heart, that we would hold one another accountable to doing that, that we would be memorizing your word, and that we would be doing battle against the father of lies, against the roaring lion. And as we sing, O church, arise, put your armor on, hear the call of Christ our captain, uh, may we arise and go and accomplish the mission because you have equipped us, empowered by your spirit, equipped with your word, Give us victory, Lord Jesus, because we go in your name and for your sake. Amen. Amen. Uh, our only hope of uh, doing battle uh, is to see our Lord Jesus doing battle for us. Uh, and, and from there to be, to, to be taken by that, humbled by that, uh, and work, bow down and worship Him uh, and receive the Spirit so as you go now, uh, take this word over you uh, as, as, a, as a blessing, uh, as, a, as, as we just sang, as a, as a rallying cry to do battle uh, for, for the glory of God. So receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn His face toward you and give you His peace both now and forevermore. Amen. Go in His peace.